Blessings on blessings on blessings. What it is, what it ain't, and what it be like. I'm your host, God Will Uplift, and this is The Hard Way Home. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome back to The Hard Way Home. This is episode three, and the title is How to Read the Bible. What is the Holy Bible? That's a very, very good question to ask oneself. What is the Holy Bible? But before we get into that, let me just uh, remind some of you who are listening what The Hard Way Home is all about. It's pretty much just getting back to the basics of, of Christianity and just learning to live life in the most simplest way that Jesus has taught us to live. And, of course, knowing that simple is never easy, which will make it, you know, it's hard. So, yeah. So, back to the question. Uh, So, I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, with some of you guys out there, y'all know what the word holy means and what the word Bible means. But for those who don't, the word holy means to be set apart, which is pretty cool. And then you have the word Bible, which we get from the Greek word uh, tabiblia, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which if you was to see the spelling of biblia, it looks very familiar to Bible. Uh, But anyway, so tabiblia means the books. So the Bible is pretty much a bunch of books canonized together. Uh, it's uh, got two two different um, compartments, uh, or I should say sections, not compartments. But it got two different two sections. You got the Old Testament, you got the New Testament, and we're gonna go through like the table of contexts uh, for the Old Testament and New Testament, and the uh, pretty much um, break some things down and share with you what is the the law, like what books are the law, what books are what they consider to be prophet books, what books are considered to be um, the writings or the historical books. And so, yeah, we were going to move forward with that. But, you know, here's a little jokey joke from uh, Holy Bible Acronyms and Slang.com. So they break down the word Holy Bible to he only left you basic instructions before leaving Earth. Or just Bible, basic instructions before leaving Earth. I think that's a little funny, you know, kind of little humor there. <laughs> yeah, me and my little, I guess I did have a little fake laugh right there. <laughs> yeah, man, laughing at your own self. So, but yeah, so before we even get into that, um, have you ever tried to read the Bible and find yourself like stuck like do like, what am I reading? Because like, I find it funny that when it comes to reading other books, we have no problem reading them because, well, we know that we went into the nonfiction area. We know we went to the fiction area. We know that we grabbed the book that's about poetry. And I think that really helps us out a lot when we go into the bookstore or into a library and we know what we're looking for. But when it comes to the Bible, 
and we open it up, we are not sure what we're reading because we're not told that, hey, this is historical. Hey, this is just um, poetic, you know, or hey, this here is prophetic. You know, we, we don't you're not always told that when you walk into the church. They just tell you, open up the Bible and read it. And you're like, uh, okay, but I don't understand what I'm reading. You know, um, this is some of the stuff that that not a lot of people learn in the churches, um, which in a way is kind of terrible. You know, that, I mean, unless you go to Bible study, but and, and even that's a question I mean, there's some churches that do have Bible study, but then there's some who don't. And even in the Bible study, the question is, do they teach it? Or do you have to go to a university to learn about these things? And, and this is stuff that I find important that should be taught uh, in the churches, even even that Bible study. Like some of the stuff should be broken down. Um, for people to be able to understand, uh, especially when you have new believers who have come to Christ and all they're told is, uh, yeah, open up the Bible and read it. Uh, so, you know, that's that's just some of my take on that. Um, so I'm pretty sure you're, you, you, you want to know, like, what are these different things? What you're going to get down to? Um, there's, there's something that I... Uh, Want to point out, right? Because I, I find it going back to what I was sharing earlier about how the difficulties about us reading the Bible. Uh, there was a book I came across. Uh, it's a completely revised and updated version of this book. It's called How to Read a Book. It's a classic guide to intelligent reading. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce these dudes' names. Um, I. I just know one of them's last name is Adler, and the other one is Charles Von Dorn. Yeah, I think I did pretty well. <laughs> but yeah, the first name, oh wait, crap, it's Mortimer. Mortimer J. Uh, Adler and Charles Van Dorn. Hopefully I did not butcher those guys' names. But um, yeah, so this book is pretty cool. I, I came across this book uh, listening to a podcast uh several years back and somebody mentioned about reading this book and so I was like, you know, let me grab it. Because they were saying about in the United States we stop learning how to properly read books. Uh we only go up to like the sixth grade level to where we learn how to properly read a book. And so you know, I just thought that by mentioning this book here will help a lot of people because of um be because I, I just think it'll it'll help to be able to look at uh how, how we ought to look at the book. So I'm just gonna open it up and read some things from like the context. Like uh one in chapter is uh that activity and art of reading is talking about active reading, the goals of reading, reading for information and reading for understanding. Reading as learning and the difference between learning by instruction and learning by discovery. So that's pretty cool. You know, you got different levels of reading. You know, the first level of reading is elementary reading, which is stages of learning to read, stages and levels, and higher levels of reading, higher education. Now, I'm pretty sure some of you guys 
are very well educational. Um, like y'all went to universities, y'all probably got your MDs, your bachelors, your masters, and stuff. So that's that's great. And you know, you you understand how to read very well. You you yourself know how to comprehend things. But then there's other people who don't know how to properly use what style of reading, like, um, you know, reading with intent or reading to study, um, you know, why you read slower, you know, for comprehension, you know, um, even how to read history. Um, some of us who don't even understand how to read history books properly, we just take whatever is being given to us as is. And yeah, we're taught some of these things and from grade school, which is cool, but do we truly continue to exercise them? Some of us do, some of us may not. Um, not of all of us are great readers. Not all of us is on the same level of reading. And so there's there's always that notion. And one one of the things you got to understand, though, when it comes to reading the Bible is don't forget that it's like, don't forget when you read the Bible, that is a, a Jewish understanding. So you're not, you, you can't apply 21st century mentality to the mentality of back then. You can't apply it to... Like where, um, how can, how would I put it? You can't apply like what what one country looks like to another country, especially like depending upon like the size of them. You know, uh, I use for example, I, I have friends who would say to me, "It's like, oh man, like look at Sweden. Sweden does this, this, and this." Well, Sweden is also a very small country. And their taxes are very high, but they're able to do all that stuff because they're a small country. Trying to get the United States of America to do that, and as big as we are, is kind of difficult. Not to say that it cannot be done, but once again, you're talking about apples and oranges. And when you look at the 21st century and the mindset of people today, none of that has really changed Um and that's one of the great things about the Bible is that it shows you the how people truly are. Um, and, and when you go to read it, you'll start to notice like when you're looking at it from that lens, instead of looking at God as the bad guy, look at how we as people, how we act back then and then see how we are today. Um, yeah, back then they didn't have the technology that we have today, but they still struggled with the same things, you know. You got womanizers throughout all the ages. You got people who rape people throughout all the ages. You got people who murder, people who stole, people who lied. It, it goes throughout all the ages. Like you will always find those people. You're always going to find somebody trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's something that is a part of human nature that we just do. And that's also a part of sin. And so just not to get off course, you know, once again, the the book is called How to Read a Book, and it's by Mortimer J. Adler and Charles Von Dorn, and um, it's, a, it's a pretty awesome book, you know, if if anybody's 
out there wanting to, you know, look at how they, I guess, if you want to look at, like, try different styles of reading, you know, and how to apply it. But anyway, let's move it on. Moving forward, moving forward, you know. So I'm pretty sure there's a question about why there are so many different Bibles or um, yeah, why there's so many different Bibles? I guess you'll be asking like, uh, and what I mean by Bibles, it's like the different numbers of books. Like, why do one group have 66 books? Another group have 73 books. Another group have, I think I see it like 76 or 80 books. And then there's another group that has 81 books. And so like your common book, but well, Bible, if you find in a bookstore, is going to have 66 books. That's more likely the Protestant uh, Bible. That's one that I'm that I'm used to reading, um, whether it be King James or the NIV or whatever other translations that there are. Um, there are some translations that's very, very great. Then there's some translations that are like, ah, bro, like, you know, uh, you got... You got differences in that too, and what's pretty cool is um there's there's a on YouTube right you have uh the Bible Project they have uh nineteen videos on uh how to read the Bible it's it's on their playlist which is very very awesome if you ever get a chance to I'll definitely be putting that in the description as well same thing with the how to read a book that would be in the description area too. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you, you got, they got that playlist and it goes into great detail, far more better than what I can, um, what I can put together. Um, like I said, I, I, this, this podcast really is to just share with people and appoint them into those that are a lot more scholarly than I am. Those who are more, um, what do you say? I guess you want to call them professionals. You know, like that's their profession. That's what they do. My thing is, I just like, you know, helping people out. Almost like the information booth. I don't know everything, but I do know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. That guy, you know? So I point you here, I point you there, <laughs> you know? And, and But yeah, so, uh, so like the Catholic Church, they, they have 73 books total in their Bible. And um, and so it's uh, it's thirty nine in the Old Testament, and then they got seven books in the middle. Now in their Bible, I think that they have it at the end though, which is called like the Apocrypha books. And then you have the I believe it's my math should be right. I believe it's twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven in the New Testament. Uh, that should come out to. 39, if my math is correct. I mean, not 39, 66, if my math is correct for um, the, the original, uh, not the original, but for the Protestant Bibles. It's 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, I believe. Yeah. And so... You know, you add this seven from from the Apocrypha and you get 73 for the Catholics. 
And then you have 81 books in the Ethiopian Orthodox um, Bible, which I learned that that Bible is not fully, com well, it's not completely, um, what is it called? Uh, it's not completely translated into English. So your Old Testament and New Testament and the Apocryphal books, you can find all those in the English language. But the other eight extra books that the Ethiopian um, Orthodox Church have, I think it's about eight of them in the New Testament, they have not been translated into English. And so there are people who are working on it. But, um, so, you know, going back to the question why there's so many different Bibles in that sense, um, it really goes back to, um, well, with the Old Testament, we get that from the, from the Jewish people, um, from the Jewish Bible. And with the Jewish Bible, you're dealing with what they consider what was uh, what they canon. And I think that they canon it. It comes down to like a lower number. I believe it's 24, but it still rounds out to 39 because they look at First uh, and Second Samuel as one book. First and Second Kings is one book and First and Second Chronicles is one book. As what we do is we look at them as separate books. So first Samuel is one book. Second Samuel is its own book. And that's how and then you so on and so forth with with Kings and Chronicles. And that's the reason why the numbers seem to be so off, but they're really not. They're they're one and the same. Um but there is a YouTube video that I will reference you to which is called the Ethiopian Bible, uh why so different. Um, it goes into some great historical stuff, um, got years and stuff like that, that I'm not even touching up on. And then, um, so let's get into, you know, the old Testament and let's, um, break that down a little bit about the liter uh, literary, literary literature. I just go with the word literature, like the literature differences in the Bible. So when you open up your Bible, if you have a chance to, and don't worry, I'm going to touch up on those other books that are out there, too, that some people say, oh, what about those books that didn't make it into the Bible? What about those? You know, how come they didn't make it in? Like, there's so many of them out there. So, but we'll talk about that. But before we do, all right, so you got from Genesis to Deuteronomy. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the five books. Those are also known as the Torah. And in our Bible, we, they're either marked as like, there's either the books of the law or legal books. Okay. And so from after Deuteronomy, you got Joshua. So from Joshua all the way to Esther. Okay. So you got Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Those are your historical books. Okay? And then you got your prophetic books. So from Isaiah to Daniel, those are known as your major prophets. And then you got your minor prophets. Now, the whole thing about the major minors is that Isaiah is a long book. Jeremiah is a long book. Limitations, 
I believe that was written by Jeremiah. That's a long book. And Ezekiel is a long book. And so is Daniel. And it's only about because of their size is the reason why they're known as the major prophets. Now, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're known as your minor prophets only because of the size of their books. Not because of that they were less than the other people. It's just like one of them might have like maybe two chapters in there or maybe three chapters versus 66 chapters or 40 something chapters in it. So that's the difference between them. But they're still prophetic books or yeah, prophetical books. And that's pretty much the Old Testament. So getting into the New Testament, you have the what they call the the biography the biography man i am messing up on my words but you have the new testament which is the biographical there we go the biographical books which is we know as the gospels matthew mark luke and john okay and the like all this stuff is like 400 years later from when the last canon was written. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I believe it is. Uh, then you go to the book of Acts and the book of Acts is a history book. And then you got the doctrinal books, which will be Romans, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians. First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, the three Johns and Jude. Those are your doctrinal books, you know. And then you get your one prophetical book, and that's Revelation. Um, fun fact: It is believed that the Book of James is the first uh, New Testament book. And that James is believed to be the brother of Jesus, um, which is kind of interesting. And so for some of you who don't know, um, just to back up a little. All right. So for some of you who don't know, the word testament um, is also like a testimony. But it's also been, I forgot how how we even got it. But originally it's supposed, supposed to be like covenant so like when you hear old covenant, new covenant, that's what it is. That's how the Bible is broken down into two sections. Um, so you got the old covenant or what they call um, the Old Testament, which is to the Jews and it's the Jewish Bible. And then you get the New Testament, which is where the Messiah is, has been revealed and he comes to earth and stuff. And some people will say that the New Testament will be the renewed test. I mean, the renewed covenant or the new covenant. And you, we learn about all that. And this is where we as uh, outsiders come in and are also grafted into the body of Christ. Or I guess I could say the, uh, the olive uh, tree branch. So that's, that's pretty cool. You know, that's, um, that's awesome. And there's so much more ways about going into it because in the Bible, like what makes it so difficult is that you have 
um, what are they, different narratives. And within a narrative, you can have, like, for instance, I believe it's in the book of Exodus. So when the children of Israel, so it's either, yeah, I believe it's in the book of Exodus. So when the children of Israel is leaving from Egypt and they cross the, uh, the, uh, the reed sea and, or the sea of reeds, some people call it, it's been also translated to the Red Sea. But anyway, when they cross it, it tells you how God, like what happened, you know, there's a wind that comes from the east and it shoots down into the water, spreads it apart. I'm paraphrasing y'all. And so then it's like, it tells you that everybody walked across and then a couple of chapters later, it comes back talking about how God breathed down with his nostrils and spread the water. And so if you're, if you don't know that, and what is interesting about the Middle Eastern culture is that they can be tell, talking to you and then out of nowhere, just go into like a poem and just start talking poetically to you and then go back into sharing the story again. And that's what's like pretty crazy because here in America, we don't, we don't do that. In many other countries, we don't talk like that, but that's something that's uniquely about, um, I believe India is like that. Uh, what's that other, um, the Middle Eastern countries are like that. There was this one guy, he uh, passed away. I'm sorry that I'm like changing up on y'all. Um, but yeah, there was this guy, um, uh, Ravi Zacharias, if you ever get a chance to listen to him talk, um, he, he has a, he talks like that. He can be telling you a story and then go into something very poetic and then come back into talking about the story. And to us as Americans, we're not used to that. Heck, I don't think the majority of the world is used to hearing somebody talk to any person talking like that. And unless you're from that, that region area to where they talk like that. And so it's, um, it's very, very interesting because that's how some of these authors convey what is going on and what has happened or what's taken place. And so we will look at it as like, well, that's a contradiction. Well, that's no different from somebody going to a basketball game or an American football game and watching their favorite teams play. Matter of fact, let's let's talk about the NBA real quick, you know. So back in the 90s, you had Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, him, uh, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. And if they blew, like if they beat somebody, it's like, oh, man, like, yeah, they blew them away. Well, we know for a fact that they didn't blow them away as in, like, literally. You know, we know it's just a figurative of speech. It's, it's poetic to... to what is it, to stretch the truth dramatically on purpose just to speak about how awesome that team, the Chicago Bulls, were in that game during that time, you know. But we know, but we don't take that literally. And what it is that there are some things in the Bible that people take literally. They'll take poetry for a literal stance and not realize that it's poetry. And that's one of the things that I believe that can help us as as um, as children of God when we go to read the Bible. So 
So what about those other books? You know, the ones that did not make it into the canon. Um, why aren't they in there? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting quest, question, right? And not to say that they were never used, um, because there were people who have used these books. Um, like you got the book of Nathan, that's mentioned in Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 29. And then there's like so many other books, even uh, one of the most famous books out there called the book of Enoch, which is m mentioned in the book of Jude. Uh, verse 11, I mean, verse 14 and 15 in the Bible. And so what, why there's like many other books that has not made it into there is because of, well, I will, be, I believe is probably more so to do with how God is projected and what is the main focus? Is it more about the person themselves or is it God-centered. Um, I could be wrong. You know, uh, I know that there's been several meetings of, I mean, today we call them scholars or, um, yeah, we can go with scholars. So there's been several meetings of many scholars and people of their time who all chose certain books to say yay and some said nay and that's why we have like the different size bibles like i say you got your protestant which is if you go to any bookstore and you go to pick up a bible it's going to have 66 books in there total if you go if you grab a book that is uh, a bible and it says um catholic on it it's going to have 73 and then you got the lesser known uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, Catholic Church, which will be considered like Greek Orthodox. I think they have, I'm not really sure how many books they might have. It, they might have 76. I'm not sure. So don't quote me on that. But that's something to be good to look up. Matter of fact, you probably might listen hear about that one in one of these, vid in one of these YouTube videos. But um, so, so so there's that. I'm I'm not gonna go so deep into it because if y'all do choose to watch these other videos on YouTube, you can you, they go deep enough into it. But um, there was something that I got this book like a while ago back, and um, it's a commentary on the Book of Enoch, and it's written by this guy named John D. Ladd. And there was something that he said in here. And he said um, pretty much this. Yet not all good books are in the Bible. Paul wrote many epistles that are not in the Bible, which is true. Others wrote books that are quoted in or referred to in the Bible, but not all there in, to in totality. And so he goes down a list of books. But that's but this is a good book to read. He uh this is in the uh, preface uh, part of his uh, doc, uh, commentary. And he shares like years of when certain books was written. Like um, some of you might be might be familiar with the if you grew up in Generation X, you might be familiar with the whole talk about uh, 
about Jesus being as a kid. Um, used to make birds out of clay, and he pushed a kid off the roof and killed him, and went down and healed him. And he was a little hellraiser type kid. And um, I remember I had a coworker tell me about that, and I, I ended up finding out where that information came from. It comes from the gospel according to Thomas. But here's the interesting thing. That gospel wasn't written until like hundreds of years later after Thomas the Apostle was killed. And if I'm correct, I believe Thomas, yeah, the Apostle Thomas, he died in India. So here they got a book out but and that's the thing like you, you get people who write books and they should be put underneath the same microscope that the bible is put under it, it, there's so many of these other books uh, some people call them false books hoax books and all that stuff so you got a lot of that out there and that's why some of those books didn't make it in because the name of an individual who lived hundreds of years ago that's like me writing a book saying you know the gospel according to george washington but george washington's been dead for how many years now but yet i find like some old paper and try to write it the way how he written it and all that stuff and say oh yo like check this out this came from back then it doesn't work that way you know you writing stuff hundreds of years later. And that's the thing. There's still people writing stuff like that to this day. So it's it's a little wild. But yeah. So just remember, you know, check out those books. So, you know, and then uh, and I'm pretty sure there's this question, right? Why is there so many different translations? Good question. There's so many different translations, especially in the English with the NIV, the HCSB, the King James. They're there for, here's the thing, language changes, even in the English language, okay? There's a song by Frankie Lyman, and he sings, uh, he says, he, he, he's, in the song he sings, he says, why do the birds sing so gay? If you go back to the Flintstones, at the end of the, uh, the intro song, it says, we'll have a gay old time. Now, if you go in the dictionary and look at the word gay, the word gay means happy. We'll have a happy time. Why do the birds sing so happy? But today, when we say the word gay, we associate it with same-sex attraction or same-sex uh, relationships and you see how words get switched up around over time and so they take on different meanings and that's the thing because of our English language is so so horrible because <laughs> it is it's very difficult to find or to share or translate over what is properly being said. Um, so you got some of the Bibles that are pretty much trying to get like the initiative uh, point across. And then you got word for word uh, uh, translations to where they straight up just tell you like what it says. But, oh wow, that's interesting. 
But um, what it is is like, uh, for instance, my my wife is her she she's Spanish, and so her family speaks Spanish, and so there's I guess I'm learning this language, right? In the English language, we will say, um, we will say something very simple like, you know, uh, I want a blue jacket. But in Spanish, it's yo quiero una chaqueta azul. So chaqueta is jacket. Azul is blue, but see, it, they in their language it says, I want a jacket blue. So when you translate in English, that don't sound right. I want a jacket blue. Well, it's like, no, I want a blue jacket. So it's the same thing like with the translations with the Bible. There are certain words that we're trying to find. Like one of my favorite chapters is, uh, is in First Corinthians chapter 13 called the love chapter. Now, if you read in the King James Version, it uses the terminology charity instead of love. The way that we say that we love somebody is, it all depends upon your tone of vocals when you say it. But um, I have a friend, uh, she, she's, um, she's, she's Greek. And um, I was trying to explain something to her and I forgot she was Greek, but then when I shared it with her and I used the word agape. Now, in the in the... 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the word love in Greek is there. He's using a term agape, which is an unconditional type love. And so when I mentioned to my friend, you know, the term agape, she's like, oh, man, I wish somebody would love me that way. And that was her saying it back to me in, in English. And what it is in our language, in the English language, we, how we use our vocals describes what we mean when we use a word. And what I appreciate from the King James Version is it uses the word charity. But some other versions may use the word love. Now, of course, people will say, you know, well, love is love. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's like loving your brother or loving your sister or loving your dad or your mom. And it's like, no, we all know that there's different types of levels of love for those just like a husband to his wife, you know, and parents to their children. It's different. But yet we still love them. We still love them unconditionally. Well, at least I hope so, <laughs> you know, and that's why there's so many different translations out there. Wow, I actually gone a lot longer than I normally would. But yeah. So you know, that's that's pretty much what uh what this episode is about. Um I'm pretty much gonna wrap it up and just do a little quick review, you know, so once again how to read the Bible, what is in the Holy Bible. We we know, you know, the word holy means to be set apart. Bible is, uh, we get our word Bible from uh, the Greek word, ta, biblic, uh, ta biblica, I mean, ta bibli, biblia, which is, uh, means the books. So the whole, so pretty much when you see the Holy Bible is saying the holy books, 
and or set apart books, you know, and these are the books that have been set apart from the rest of all others. And there's a good reason why. Um, I hope that y'all all enjoy this show. I hope that you have a blessed morning, evening and afternoon as you continue your day in this new lovely year. Um, I understand that each and every one of us has is dealing with COVID-19. And I pray that God be with each and every one of y'all and bring peace to your hearts and your lives. You know, and so that's the end of this chapter in life. And I wish y'all the best. God bless.